Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to USTA Florida's Here to Serve podcast. We have a great addition for you today where we're going to talk about the resumption of play for Special Olympics programs here in Florida this September. And I'm very excited to be joined by three special guests. Two of our faces are familiar to you. We have Danielle Gooding, our Director of Community Tennis, who is back for this edition of the podcast. Welcome back, Danielle. Thank you, Laura. We also have Ronald Lyons, a very familiar face in our podcast world. Ronald is our uh, Diversity and Outreach Coordinator at USDA Florida. So thank you, Ronald, for being on this podcast with us. Thanks, Laura. And we also have a new face, which I'm very excited to introduce, and that is Bancoli Adabanjo, and he is the Vice President of Sports and Programs for Special Olympics Florida, one of our awesome partners. So welcome, Bancoli. Thank you. Very excited to be here. So I'm going to dive right into my questions for all of you. And Bancoli, I'm going to start with you. We know Danielle, we know Ronald, they've introduced themselves before, but I would like for you to tell our audience how you got involved with Special Olympics and why adaptive sports are important here in Florida. Yeah, no, absolutely. So about seven years ago, I was working in college admissions and uh, I enjoyed it, but I, I just felt like there was something missing, like I wanted to do more. Uh, I had a graduate degree in, in sport management, so I literally just went online and uh, Googled nonprofit jobs in sports. And I saw this part-time county director job in Osceola County. Uh, when I went in to actually interview, I think our chief operating officer at the time was a little confused because here's this guy coming in with like a full-time job, but he's looking for part-time work. And what I told him was very honestly, I just wanted to be a part of something that I felt like I was giving an impact and helping people's lives. And for someone like me to be able to do that through sports, like, I don't think there was a better opportunity. So uh, I, I came on board um, outside of asking my now wife to marry me. It was absolutely the best decision I've ever made. Um, it, it has changed our lives for the better. And I just love the opportunity to use sports because it teaches so many lessons and it truly should be something that is afforded to everyone to have that opportunity. Um, the groomsmen in my wedding were guys I played soccer with when I was 12 years old. So, you know, you, you create these relationships and I think those across the board should get those same opportunities to experience all the teachings of sports, but the joy of sports and just the opportunity to go out there, get self-confidence, find a group of friends and just feel like you belong. So for me, it's really been life-changing and I couldn't picture myself doing anything else, honestly. Well, I think you just summed up in two minutes why Special Olympics Florida is such a great partner for us and why we love working with you guys because that passion and dedication that you have is just unmatched. We don't find it anywhere else. Um, we have a lot of great partners, but you guys are just something really special and we're very blessed to have you as our partner. So um, thank you very much for having that passion and I'm very glad that you ended up at Special Olympics because you now we get to know you, which is awesome. Thank you, thank you. So let's talk a little bit about um, the impact of COVID-19 on adaptive programs. So the, the real purpose behind these podcasts is to talk a little bit about the different environment that we're in now. And I wanted to ask each of you to maybe share your perspectives on how the pandemic has impacted 
Special Olympics play across the state. And I'm going to stay with you, Van Coley, to kind of give us maybe a, sort of an overall perspective of of where is where our Special Olympics program and what happened with COVID. Yeah. No, I think you know, unfortunately for our athletes, right before this term social distancing, that's what many of them understood their lives to be. And Special Olympics helped bridge that gap and give them an opportunity to feel a part of something. So it, it has had a really profound impact, I think, on our athletes not being able to just frankly see their friends on a day-to-day -day basis and, and go out onto the playing field. So it's been really important for us as an organization to ensure that we're connecting virtually as often as we can and, and really working hard, frankly, to, to getting back uh, safely um, because we know how important these programs are to the athletes. So I'm really proud of our team. We've done really a tremendous job of kind of ensuring that there's uh, opportunities, whether it's uh, through our health initiatives or athlete leadership um, programming. So I think uh, for the most part, uh, we, we've really been creative, but I think now with the opportunity to get back to play, there's a lot of excitement and um, uh, the athletes, they're, they're, they're ready to, to see their friends again. Danielle, I'm going to come to you next because from a section perspective, we used to do some really special things with Special Olympics Florida, and this year, you know, some of those were impacted. So can you talk a little bit about some of the section level activities that, you know, were impacted by COVID-19 and maybe where we sit right now? Yeah, it was really hard to see. Um, the uh, everything that we had planned and had been working for, even you know since 2019, um, to organize for this spring, um, this summer, sort of just everything like everybody else in the world just come to a halt. So um, that was really hard, and I think it's it's you know I can handle it, we can handle it, you know our team can handle it, but to know that the players are not going to be there and have that activity for them. That's, I think, what really impacts us the most um, because we know we will continue having these activities sometime in the future. That we are just surely going to plan. But the players, they they have to be confident that we're going to be there for them when we're ready and when they're ready. So I think that was the hardest part. And Ronald, you talked to the the local program uh, directors and and uh, providers quite a bit. W what's your what's your perspective on kind of how COVID nineteen has impacted their ability to kind of deliver local programming? Well, after talking to a lot of people, um, as we all know, in person play was not happening across the state. But what really excited everybody was getting involved virtually. A lot of people, they were so excited that, okay, a lot of our athletes, we aren't on the court with them, but we can get involved virtually. So that really excited me. So seeing those families and those athletes focus on that um, excited a lot of the directors and also excited me. And I'm excited for everything to start back up in a few weeks, just to see how everyone pivots moving forward. We're very fluid around here. That's our word, right? We like water. We're very fluid. Um, so, Ben Coley, I want to come back to you because I, I do know that tennis and golf are sort of the two sports that Special Olympics Florida is focusing on to restart. So I wanted to ask you, in your perspective, why is tennis a great option for a return to play? And, you know, what is Special Olympics Florida recommending in terms of getting back on the court for your athletes? 
so so when you look at just the nature of tennis and golf um by design they just allow for more uh social distancing right we can start our programs in smaller more controlled environments and and frankly a lot of the resources that your team has shared with us has helped give us confidence in regards to kind of creating some of the mitigation protocols, um, the different sports specific templates that allow our coaches to have that confidence and can kind of follow our safety protocols. Um, I think when you look at this new environment, it's changing and really preparing our athletes and our coaches to, to get used to these environments. We really felt confident that because of how they're designed that it would work successfully. Um, one thing that we've been doing the last uh, two months is really preparing our coaches. So we've had about three levels or three phases of education. So we initially started with four videos that Special Olympics International created, and we created a quiz off of that. So that was like kind of the first phase of education, kind of introducing our programming or our new training environments. And then we went ahead and released a webinar that kind of spoke a little more specifically to um, Special Olympics Florida and how um, we will mitigate and how we will kind of ensure the safety of our athletes and our coaches. And finally here, just in the last few weeks, as we prepare to return, we're holding local coaches meetings that really drilling down to the very you know, minute questions that someone will have. Like, how do I get my thermometer? What do I need to put up at my practice site? How many athletes can attend? What do I tell my parents, right? Like how, when they arrive. So really trying to answer as many questions as possible because there's no roadmap to this thing. And um, safety is leading the way. Um, and we want to make sure that our coaches have the confidence and their athletes feel safe. So I want to thank you guys for a lot of the resources that you've shared because you, you really helped us kind of uh, design what we're looking to do as we transition to in-person activities. Well, it was our pleasure to do so, and you know we're very fortunate because we've got a great team of professionals that um, have been sort of wrestling with a lot of those questions day in day out. And that, I want to come back to you, Danielle, for uh, for this question, which is uh, we have been working very hard on resources for providers um, in every space that we serve. Can you talk a little bit about the provider-specific resources we have for those out there who want to restart their Special Olympics programs specifically. Sure. And I think it goes back to what Ned only said about the sharing information and, and putting that information together into uh, a very comprehensive document for these providers so that they don't have to reinvent the wheel. So we have on the USDAflorida.com website uh, a provider page that allows providers to go and uh, find resources that they need to be able to restart programs safely and comfortably, uh, also allowing their customers and their players to feel as if they're prepared and that they're entering a safe environment. So everything is really posted on the usaflorida.com website, and it's a wonderful resource for our providers. We're also allowing them to save time in creating signage, um, signage safety guidelines um, to post around the, the facility for the players to see, uh, very visual and, and easy to understand. So it's, it's just making things easier for the providers and safety and comfort, comfort, comfort excuse me, for the players. Yeah, those are great resources out there, you know, to help them put together activities that are safe. And 
you know, Ronald, one of the, another hat that you wore for us this year is you've actually been featured in a number of our videos, safe play videos that we have been putting together. Because a lot of uh, things uh, come down to visual representation, right? I know that's very important uh, for the adaptive community. So my question for you is, are there plans to kind of have some more of those video tips in place for maybe Special Olympics athletes um, and the providers to really showcase this is what this looks like in the new world? Yeah, definitely. So uh, there are plans for more video tips. Danielle and I, we've been communicating just to see how we can do that and partner with Special Olympics Florida once they feel more comfortable after phase one. So right now we're just um, trying to communicate with Special Olympics Florida just to see how comfortable they feel after phase one and then we can move forward with our plans. Um, so in the meantime, what we've been doing is directing everyone to uh, Special Olympics Florida's information. So the webinar and also the quizzes as well. Excellent. I know all those resources will be available on our podcast page too, which is nice. So we'll get some quick links out there for people who are interested in those resources. My last question is kind of a, a big question and it's a crystal ball type of question, but I'm going to ask all of you anyway to, uh, to kind of look into the future and tell me how do each of you feel about the potential for hosting our 2021 state games next year? And um, I'll have a follow-up question, which is what do you want to hear from our adaptive players and participants to help us make that happen? So Ron, I'm going to stay with you and, and have you answer first. Uh, honestly, I think if we follow the protocols set forth by state game, well, Special Olympics, I think in 2021, we should be able to have the state games. It's definitely, it's going to look different, um, but I think with USTA Florida, partnering with Special Olympics Florida, we can make sure that even though it's gonna look different, we can still offer the best event that the athletes have seen and also the families. Um, for our providers and our athletes, I think maybe sending out a survey to them just to see how we've pivoted and how we've helped them through this time, that'll be something that's very beneficial. So I think we should do that. Great ideas and suggestions to see if we can kind of get that in the hopper for the near future. Danielle, same questions to you. What do you think the potential is to host the state games and what would you like to hear from our adapt adaptive players and participants? Uh, the, the potential is great in the sense that we have the benefit of time. Um, considering the state games are in May, we have quite a few big tournaments taking place um between now and uh, the state games for us to learn from the u.s open world team tennis was in july uh there are quite a few tournaments in europe happening so we can learn from these events not just tennis but from other uh sporting events and see what safety measures they take and 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 use those kind of um ideas and then be ready for the state games in may and i would love to hear um from the providers and players um, in terms of just their excitement and how they felt um, the programs have been going uh, starting in September and, and also using their feedback for the safety. Excellent. Bang Holly, I'm going to ask you the same two questions, but I'm going to put a little bit of a, an extra one on the first question about the state games. Do you think that more participants will come to play tennis? Um, given that some of the other sports aren't running. So do you see the potential for the state games to happen? And do you see maybe more participants wanting to come 
So that's my first question. And then the second was, is the same. What would you like to hear from our tennis uh, players and uh, providers? And so I definitely agree with Danielle and Ron. Uh, I think there's so many protocols out. Um, I think if we can navigate this together, as Danielle said earlier, with sharing of resources and just kind of watching, um, I don't see a reason why we couldn't have uh, a fantastic state competition next year. Um, I can tell you, honestly, we've actually seen an uptick of tennis interest already because folks are ready to get back. So um, I've had phone calls with parents already. Hey, my daughter has not played tennis, but um, can she sign up? And the answer is, of course, yes, she absolutely can. So I, I definitely think we do have the luxury of time. I think as we continue to work together, collaborate, share resources, learn, um, there's, there's, we're very optimistic, frankly. And in regards to the participants, yeah, without a doubt, I think, you know, surveys are great. Um, just asking them how we're doing, asking them for, hey, um, what, what should we do differently? What do you recommend? I think getting their feedback helps us make better decisions and ensure that we're considering every, every single person. So I think um, just connecting with them, asking questions on how they're doing as well, um, but asking, hey, how are we doing? What can we do better or the same or different? Excellent. Well, thank you all so much for your insights today. I think that was much needed and I couldn't be more excited to have Special Olympics play resuming in September. It's one of my favorite programs. Um, I do just appreciate all of the work and all the passion that you all have for uh, serving different communities. It really uh, shines through and it's what makes this relationship really special. So thank you very much for all of your work and for being on the podcast today. Thank you. For those of you who are listening to the audio only version of this podcast, just a friendly reminder that uh, you can find the full video version and leave your comments and questions underneath at USTA Florida's Facebook page. You can also find all of the resources that were mentioned in this podcast, as well as topics and dates for upcoming podcasts on our podcast page at USTAFlorida.com slash here to serve. Thank you all for tuning in. Stay safe and we'll see you on the courts very soon. Bye.